Hey listeners, welcome to the Alma Bay Spotlights podcast. I'm your host Kalyan and on this show I will interview a diverse set of alumni relations and fundraising professionals that work at institutions of all types and sizes, not just the large popular ones you'll hear from at conferences. My aim is to bring people whose stories are more relatable so that their ideas are more actionable for you. This week I'm going to be talking to Brandon Foster. Director of Annual Giving and Alumni Relations at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill School of Government. It is the largest university-based local government training, advisory and research organization in the US. Brandon has a very interesting career, ranging from being a bookseller in England to spending 40 days in an Egyptian desert for an archaeology study to fundraising for political campaigns and eventually to his current role in alumni relations and annual giving. We also talk about some interesting alumni engagement ideas that have worked well for them and some of the challenges looking ahead. I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to Brandon's story. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the Alma Bay Spotlights podcast. I'm so excited to learn more about your journey and some of your ideas today. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. I think this will be fun. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we talk about your current role, I'd love to kind of start from the teenage Brandon, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> Where did you grow up, and uh, which high school did you go to? Uh, I grew up in a small town, Mont Vernon, New Hampshire, um, and went to a high school. It's uh, Milford Area Senior High School. It was a tri-town high school when I went there. Um, so it was my tiny town sent. 30 kids per year, well I guess 120 kids per year so in my class there were about 30 kids that I grew up with um through 6th grade and then went to a a little middle school that was two towns and then our our high school was a three town where where us Mont Vernon folk made up a very small small number gotcha interesting and then i see that you've you then decided to pursue a bachelor of arts degree in classical studies at Emory University And, I, and you also got your master's degree in art history from Emory too. Clearly, you yeah. loved that place. How did you first pick Emory as the college you wanted to attend? And you know, if you could tell us anything about your experience there. Uh, well, so I'm sort of embarrassed to say it was one of only two schools that I got into, um, and the other being the University of New Hampshire. And um, I, I really wanted to, um, I wanted to sort of explore. I wanted to to get out of. New Hampshire for some time. So um and and the school honestly I I applied because a friend of mine from my same town um had looked at it and this was back when there were VHS tapes um <laughs> and I watched the the VHS tape that he got and said, "Oh, Atlanta, that's really pretty." Um and and I applied and and it turned out that he myself and another classmate three of us were the first three to go to Emory all the same year um and uh and it was a it was a phenomenal experience growing up in small town New Hampshire rural New Hampshire to go to school just outside of Atlanta i think it it really it changed my sort of world view um my parents were were very open i watched a lot of news um growing up my mother was extremely active in town politics but it was still small town and uh going to atlanta was was really i want to say mind changing 
and Emory was just just a great place. I chose classics because I honestly I'd taken Latin in high school and wanted to continue to take Latin and um, and then just sort of gravitated towards classics with no thought about what I was going to do next. <laughs> That's fascinating. Uh, what strikes me is just how honest you are with, with all of this because you know sometimes when we uh, talk about some of our paths there is this hindsight bias where you know we're sort of painting a more romantic picture of what happened in the past than than, than reality <laughs> so no, for... no no it's it's not romantic <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for sharing that story i think your career uh, is honestly super fascinating you know you've you've been a bookseller you've published some reports on archaeology i'd love to get into the story of that you know you've spent a lot of time on political campaigns in various capacities and eventually made your way into development and alumni relations i'm really curious connect the dots for me how did all of this play out for you <laughs> um so after graduating uh, from Emory as an undergrad, I spent a year in a pilot program doing environmental cleanup and education in uh, in Atlanta with um, a program called EcoWatch. I believe now it's a um, an outward bound, I mean a uh, um, an AmeriCorps program. It was tied to Outward Bound, and so um, really I worked worked with Outward Bound for a year doing that with EcoWatch. Um, I moved to Boston for a year, was a temp, um, loved Boston. I'm a, a Boston sports fan, born and bred, um, but wasn't finding what I wanted to do. So decided to go back to school, spent a couple years uh, working on um, Latin and Greek uh, to get into graduate school. I went to UGA for, for sort of a post-back couple of years in Latin and Greek, German and French, and then um, decided to apply to graduate school and ended up going back to Emory, getting my, um, in a PhD program in art history. And again, not being romantic, um, I burnt out and I don't want to say I couldn't hack it, but I just burnt out. I finished my master's, moved to Michigan to be with my, my now wife, um, who was finishing her PhD in archaeology, in classical archaeology uh, at University of Michigan. And looking for something to do, I, um, reached out to my old boss um, from EcoWatch, and he happened to be working on a political, uh, or on the, um, the Democratic National Convention, and, um, and he, had, he had a gig for me. He, had, he said he needed somebody to help out. And so that sort of opened the door to starting to work in, uh, with political campaigns. It was something which I had grown up with. I had mentioned that my mother was very active in, in the town. And, and so I worked the convention, went back to Michigan, that was in Boston, work, went back to Michigan and uh, started working on political campaigns. Following 04 and the election in 04, um, my partner then, now wife, uh, we moved to England. She had a postdoc in England. Um, we moved there and I did the book selling and some other things. We came back in 2006, came back to the States to get married, but really only to get married. Um, and following our wedding, I went back to Michigan to uh, work on another political campaign, and she went back to England. Um, following the, the 2006 election, I went to England. Uh, we were there for about another year and a half. We, she then got a, um, a position at the University of Texas in Austin, and we moved to Austin. Uh, upon moving there, 
I then entered the world of politics, got a job with a very small but um, but powerful, phenomenal shop message audience uh, presentation, um, political consulting firm, and um, and worked there for five years or so. Uh, and did he had to had to leave? Did a year again trailing my wife who got a fellow shop a fellowship, and we were in D.C. for a year just as my son was growing up. So I was a stay at home dad. We moved back to England. I moved back to to Austin, and then when we when my wife got a, uh, an offer to come to UNC Chapel Hill, came here, and that's when I made the transition to do the work that I do now um, in in uh, fundraising. Interesting. What was your initial thought process when, I don't know if this was the first role um, in terms of alumni relations and development that you took up, but what was your thought process when you first thought of this, um, you know, I would say development and fundraising in general? You know, I, I look at fundraising in as as a campaign. And so I think it really, it came about, I mean, in, uh, on the one hand, I needed to get out of, um, of campaigning. Uh, I had my son who was... Um, four and my daughter was on the way. And with, when you work in politics, you're on 24 seven. And I just needed to, um, to step away from that. Just, you know, for, I, I'm still passionate. However, I just knew I couldn't dedicate myself fully to that. So as I was um, looking for work, I was really casting a wide net when we moved to, to North Carolina. And, um, and I had, I, I got an interview actually at the Ackland Art Museum um, and had a conversation with the director of development there and the director of the museum there and talked about my approach to fundraising, having done some fundraising or worked with fundraising in, in um, politics and really talking about the way I, I see it as, as, as it, all fundraising is a campaign. It's um, a campaign of, of I'm trying to go from A to B. I'm trying to raise X amount of money. How do I get there? And tweaking along the way. Um, and ensuring that your messaging, whether it's fundraising messaging or your general messaging to the population, that there's something that's intertwined throughout that um, so that you're always, always, always telling that story, um, whether it's in a fundraising appeal or whether it's in an invitation to an art opening. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, 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 to get a position at the Ackland. It was a temp temporary position. Um, and once a part of the UNC family and starting to um, and talk with folks and meet folks in development, um, I was I, I met the director of the director of development or the dean of um, development at the School of Government at a training. Uh, we continued to talk for for months and um, a position opened up there and I applied and and got the job. And I've been there, been, been at the school ever since. <laughs> It's amazing how um, all of these dots connect. I'd love to sort of dive into your current role, but just before we do that, and I know this is a little bit of a segue, but one of the parts of your story that I think is super fascinating is, you know, your passion for archaeology and how you spent, uh, I believe, several days uh, in, in an Egyptian desert. Tell, tell, tell me the story behind that. Sure. Um, as an undergrad at Emory, I went, uh, I got started, I got, got, got on a project um, with uh, Professor Naomi Norman um, to go to dig in Tunisia. And um, that was mind blowing. If Atlanta was mind blowing, uh, going in and excavating in Carthage, Tunisia was just like a <laughs> life changing, 
moment um, and really exploding my worldview. Um, and that's really what got me into going into graduate school. And, um, and so as I was going to graduate school, I did a couple seasons in Tunisia and then had this opportunity um, to go and, uh, and do a mapping project of an ancient emerald mine in, um, in the Egyptian desert, about 50 kilometers inland from um, the site of Bernike, which is a, a coastal um, port on the Red Sea coast. And, um, and uh, so two, two, two of us and a, another colleague who I uh, worked in Tunisia with and I um, were invited to go map this emerald mining settlement of Sakate, and he and I spent um, 40 days in the desert. I know it sounds funny, but it was literally 40 days in the desert where it was just really he and I among over 200 buildings that were um, the, the settlement around this, this emerald mining um, site. And we mapped it and um, it, was it was just so beautiful and quiet and tranquil and you know hot it was in december it was nice and hot in the, in the day and as soon as that sun went down got real cold uh we sat around had a small fire um sipped the uh the bourbon that we brought uh in the evenings went to bed got up the next day and mapped some more um and he would leave for periods because he needed to download everything that we were mapping and had to go back to the to the to the coast and so i would be out there for two to three days at a time um drawing some of these these sites um and exploring um i will say that this is the romantic part of my life i guess um and uh <laughs> <laughs> i would i would never give i mean the, the the experience that i had out there um was just just so wonderful um you know i can close my eyes and think back on it and um it's beautiful so yeah, such a fascinating uh, story. One hell of an adventure. I really <laughs> hope I get the chance to do that at some point. Um, but let's now switch gears and uh, you know talk about talk more about your current role. Um, you are the director of annual giving and alumni relations at UNC School of Government. For the audience here, tell us more about the School of Government at UNC and you know the programs you offer. Who your alumni are. So um, the school is is really unique in that um, this the school is its mission is really to serve um, a, and better the lives of North Carolinians. Um, the school has about forty ish um, faculty who are lawyers, and they're all subject matter experts within um, anything related to really local government. Um, and we offer that expertise to municipalities, um, counties. Whoever phones phones us, we pick up the phone and we answer it and and, and uh, interpret the laws um, as as they ought to be interpreted. Um, basically, if if a council or if a council city council has an issue or is wondering about some land use issue, um, somebody wants to come and develop a certain area, uh, or they can call uh, call the school and um, we'll say. The law says this, and you can or cannot do that. So that that's the school, and we and we really and we offer we offer that, and we offer um, educational programmings, kind of continuing ed programs for ten to twelve thousand public servants in North Carolina um, a year, anywhere from clerks to the judges. Um, we we see them all um, 
and and provide um, educational opportunities for them, certifications, things like that. And then within the school um, is a master's of public administration program. It's housed within the, within the school. It's the one academic program that um, the school has. Uh, it's what makes the school a school and what makes our dean a dean. Um, and that has, it's a sort of a boutique pro- program of, uh, it's a two-year program for the on-campus format where we have anywhere from 22 to 28 students each year come in. Um, and then we offer an online format for the past, I think, about eight years now, um, where we have anywhere from 120 to, to 200 students enrolled. And, and that program um, is a five-year program. But um, all the same curriculum, um, many of the same faculty, they get full, the online format get full faculty um, teaching. Um, all the same entrance exams. They everybody's got to, as of now, take the GRE and and uh, and be admitted. So um, those that's the the school and and I work uh, as a director of alumni relations primarily or with a primary focus to MPA um, and am working to do a better job and develop more of a uh, alumni relations program um, for folks that come through the school. I think what's one thing that's interesting here is that you've been offering the online program for, I think you said seven or eight years already, where a lot of institutions are just starting to consider it or, you know, have started to move over the last 12 months. What's been your experience in engaging alumni who've been on campus versus those that have just taken online courses? Uh, I, I will say it, it it has been and has been you know something that I noodle over uh, you know, daily, um, how do you engage an online format or uh, online alumni um, to really make them feel a part of the program um, and, and feel uh, as though they, you know, they are graduates of UNC Chapel Hill. Plainly say it's a challenge. Um, we really focus on, um, when we talk about our alumni and our alumni network, um, they are really very uh, loyal, I guess. Um, if 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 an if an alum calls another alum, even cold calls, you know, I get I will get this uh, as my colleague Kristen Palowski, who also works with alumni, will get a call of somebody moving or somebody interested in in uh, changing positions. Um, we can put them into contact with other alumni, and and those alumni will answer the call and they will treat them, talk to them advise them, answer whatever questions they want. And so really trying to impress that upon our online format folks um, is something that we try to do to help sort of make them feel a part of the, a part of the alumni family. And I think we do a relatively good job with that. I mean, the thing that we say uh, often with, with a lot of the partner institutions that we work with is institutions have to think about how they give value to alumni before they seek value in return. And that's exactly what you're doing here. Essentially, you're talking about how do we, how does the university or the school in this case continue to stay resourceful to their alumni rather than just saying, hey, now that you've, we've handed you your education, come back with your checks. It, it, uh, it, so that's it, really absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it is, and I think it's both, right? It's not just not just the online. The online is a bit bit more of a struggle. Um, you know, a lot of the folks that come to North Carolina for, to to UNC Chapel Hill, um, they're either from or they stay here and work here. But with the online folks, you know, we have plenty plenty of um, people who are all over the country. Um, a lot of service members who are serving overseas. We, uh, you know, we hear, hear stories of some who are actually taking their courses while, <laughs> while in theater, you know? Um, so it, it is, it is a, a challenge. And, and um, I, I will say if there's a silver lining and I'm sure we'll get into this of, um, of COVID uh, it is zoom and our ability to better connect with, with folks and people's willingness to connect in the, in that way. Yeah, and I guess in some senses, it also levels the playing field because now, you know, you have an equal opportunity to engage alumni no matter where they are. So actually, that leads me to the, to my next question. How are you engaging your alumni at the moment, especially over the last 12 to 15 months as so much around us has changed? How are you engaging alumni right now? Um, trying not to overdo the, the, the emails and updates, right. Trying to stay, uh, you know, in, in, in an era. And I mean, again, coming from a political consulting background, I know email fatigue. Um, and it's something which we've always struggled with. So, um, being very, um, thoughtful and deliberate about what we are sharing, um, and, and sending alumni and when, um, and, you know, we, we've had really good fortune, luck um, with basically the virtual happy hour. Um, that's what how it sort of started and, and it's morphed into um, some more uh, sort of focused programming in, in that it's, it's not just a happy hour where we invite alumni to come together, but it's a community conversation. Um, so it's sort of topical. And, and those, basically that is what we've been doing to try to bring that alumni community together um, in, a, in the same space. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges with, with something like that is also Zoom fatigue, apart from email fatigue, like you said, right? I mean, how many um, virtual events can you do where you want <laughs> alumni to come on Zoom? It, it's absolutely... Um, it's it, absolutely true. Uh, and, and again, we, we do try, we don't hold them so often. We want to make them so, just to, to seem as though there's something special, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you know, we used to, we used to have a, a, a alumni conference here um, and it's went away during my time um, with the MPA program or fundraising with the MPA program. And part of the, the reasoning of that is it happened every year and it happened at, at Chapel Hill. Uh, so people had to come in and people like that seeing every year, I think started, we would basically have the same 40 people and then maybe a group of 10 other alumni that would sort of come every other year. You know, it wasn't really growing and bringing in a really diverse group of people. And so, um, we've sort of taken that mindset as we got rid of that program. And, and one of the things was, well, it's just happened too, off, too, too often. Should it be every two years or should you, you know, every 18 months or something? So I think with the, the thinking about Zoom fatigue is ensuring that, that you have 
not just a happy hour to come to. Sure, you have a happy hour to come to. And if people want to come, they come and we do West Coast time and things like that. But also these community conversations where which are topical. So for example, the first one we had is, is uh, we invited the managers, the city and county managers who were alumni um, to this, to talk about what are y'all doing? And this was, you know, shortly after COVID or mid, not even mid COVID, but what are you doing as a city manager, a town manager, a county manager? Um, how One, how are you doing and what are you doing to sort of just share amongst the network, amongst the alumni friends? What are they doing? And that, that there was a topic that was really, it was still pretty free flowing, um, a free flowing conversation. It was not really facilitated. We didn't have many leading questions and we just let them talk. And that was meaningful um, to them. And so we've, we've evolved that to have other community conversations around, um, you know, folks that work in finance. Um, and uh, we've got one actually scheduled the end of this month that's going to be around um, the arts and, and what is the arts economy and recovery look like as we come out of COVID. And so folks, our alumni who are working within that sphere um, will come, we'll have some folks who, who work in that area sort of facilitate things, but it's really an informal conversation. And that's been, and, and these things have been really working, working well for us. Yeah. And I think the good thing about these sort of topical conversations is also that this then becomes content if you're recording it, that you could then send to other alumni that may not necessarily have had the time to participate live. That's ex exactly what we do. We, we, uh, we send those along to everybody who'd, who'd registered at the very least um, and, and, um, yeah. and post them and can share um, in our e-newsletters and things like that, that, hey, this, this happened. If you're interested in, in checking it out, here's, here's the link. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Uh, what kind of participation have you seen with some of these virtual happy hours or sort of these topical community conversations? This is a typical school of government um, response. It depends. But we always <laughs> say it depends. Um, you know, we've we've had, uh, you know, upwards of um, 50 for a just a general um, happy hour. Um, which is, you know, phenomenal and just, I think, sort of spoke to people wanting to connect to down to 20. Um, and actually that, that manager's one was even smaller than that. So it sort of runs that range. We did just recently, uh, a week ago, actually, had, a, um, had uh, the Deal Right lecture, which, um, which was a Zoom webinar, not necessarily the, you know, a happy hour. Um, and we had over a hundred folks come to that. This is an annual lecture that um, mm -hmm. normally happens in person. We had to cancel because it was scheduled last year on the second of, for the second of April, um, and right, COVID hit mid-March, um, and so we canceled last year. Although this was the start of our happy hours because we decided to do a, a virtual happy hour, anyways. Um, <laughs> and and and, it, and that was the first one, and it was incredibly successful. We had over. We had upwards of 40 folks show up to that first one. And, uh, but so, so for, for something like the virtual, I mean, for the, for this deal, right lecture, we had about, a, um, we had over a hundred folks show up for that. That's amazing. Um, 
what are some of your biggest challenges at the moment uh, brandon as you look forward to the next 12 months um you know i think keeping keeping this up right there's and and what's it going to look like as we return um everything is in such flux with vaccines and who's going to take the vaccinations you know i i think the biggest challenges as a alumni relations and a and a and a fundraiser is can can we keep this going um or are people really going to burn out and and really just be like i can't do another zoom like you said uh and i'm not comfortable coming back to a in person event um right it's it's a then what then how do you continue to stay engaged um on that on that level i mean from a fundraising standpoint and a a one to one if i if i uh, you know i do annual giving but i also am a frontline fundraiser um that i i i'm not overly concerned about i believe that that i will continue to be successful there um folks will continue to choose to have meetings and now more than ever you know our constituents work in public service uh you know they're public servants they know they know the importance of this degree and to make sure that there that there are well qualified folks who are dealing with these because they're they're dealing with all the issues that are happening they're on the front lines um but in a broader sense i think um trying to stay sort of fresh uh and to to keep those alumni engaged i think that's a that's something which we have to consider a, a major challenge Um and unfortunately I I have a partner in this Kristen Palowski who works with the alumni as well just not on the fundraising standpoint and she's a phenomenal collaborator to come up with with ideas to really like we test the water and if it takes it takes and if it doesn't uh okay well we learn something yeah it's amazing and i think it's it, this is a time where you know we need to be more iterative than ever before i don't think we can ever especially in the last 12 months we couldn't fall back on oh this is how it's always done right right it's <laughs> both both a blessing as well as uh, you know a curse in some sense but actually that got me thinking how do you come up with new ideas what are some um what are some places you go to or who are some people that you talk to i know you've been a member of case as well has that helped you how do you actually come up with new ideas um co- colleagues and quite honestly with these with these um our community conversations we are really trying to make this something that is driven by our alumni what do they want to talk about what what's on their mind and then how can we help make that conversation happen For example, the the arts conversation was really it's three students who wanted to have this this community conversation happen. Um and so we said, okay, we can help with this. We have people who work in the arts and we will bring them together and we will host this um and we'll make it happen. Um so what we are trying to really another way to be engaging with the alumni is, is asking, what is it? <clears throat> what is it that you want? What would be helpful to you? um and then yeah you know talking with other other um schools and units around UNC um we've got a large you know UNC is a big institution we have a, a lot of folks working um and we are one big we we one carolina we're one family um and i can reach out to anybody in any other school or unit um even if i've never met them but i know that they work in alumni relations and they'll be willing to share what they're doing um 
and I've, we found that, you know, great. We have, we have, um, meetings, uh, around, um, annual giving around alumni relations that are, uh, within the one Carolina family and, and it'll be hosted quarterly or something. And, and it is, it's sharing best practices. It's sharing, what have you been doing? What are your struggles? Um, so I, I, it's really, uh, I think that's where, that's where, that's where we go. The alumni and then the, the one Carolina family. I think what I love about that story um, is is how you know three students sort of initiated this conversation, which led to this idea of community conversations. And you know, you're sort of talking about how you want alumni to drive you know what they want to talk about and what they're interested in. I call that approach alumni centric, right? Which is starting with the alumni at the center and then sort of doing, I mean, designing your programs for what alumni care about, as opposed to saying, "Hey, this is what the institution wants to do." Right. Absolutely. Um, so I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I can, I can guess what they might like, but, um, and they'll tell me if they don't like it as the, the nice thing about being part of a small <laughs> program is, is, you know, the, 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 I've been, I've been here now six years or so and, and folks know me and, um, they're comfortable like, yeah, that's not going to work, Brandon. Um, okay, well then what will work, you know, then, then you can have that conversation. Yeah. Um, and it's the same. I mean, right. We're donor centric. We should be alumni centric. Absolutely. Amazing. Um, we're, we're getting to the close here, but before we wrap up, Brandon, I have three final questions for you. Um, what's one book that you would recommend to your peers? You know, one book that, that I should go back to and probably reread, but I think something that's, that I'm often noodling over and, and particularly now given sort of the hypersensitivity around social media and things. Um, there was a book um, connected um, mm-hmm. that uh, by, um, uh, was it Fowler and um, Nicholas, I think it's Christakis, Christakis. Um, it's probably 10, 12 years old. It was something I, I was, when I was doing the political consulting thing, um, that's when I read it first. And it really talks about how sort of the friend of your friend's friend can influence your behaviors generally. Um, and I, 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 I like to try to think about how I can better reach those alum, my alumni in the same way in that and, and, and sort of get the message of the program, make sure that that's getting out about all the great things that the program's doing and, and the school, for that matter, right? Um, the, the school is a gem. The school government is a, is is just something which every every state should have, and they do such amazing work. So how can we how can we get our our friend, the friend of the school, to get that message out to the friend of the friend, and and see the value, and hopefully as a fundraiser come back and and contribute to the school. But um, it's a it's a fascinating read, and now talking to you about this, I need to go up on my bookshelf and reread it. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm doing it. Sir, I don't think I'm doing it justice of of how great of a of a book and it just getting you to think. It's also entertaining to read, but um, but to really get you to think about how about that messaging and and the influence that that messaging can have and and the broad reach um, and how to reach those people. Yeah. I think that's a good, uh, that's a great recommendation. And I think what's also interesting to sort of double down on with that point is 
often you know alumni relations directors think as event organizers but in fact in today's world they should be thinking more as community builders and and to that point i think this book could be an interesting starting point it's it's a it, i i would i would highly recommend it what's what's one advice you would give your 20 year old self brandon <laughs> um oh so, so much advice probably some i won't i shouldn't share <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> um, i i thought you'd say more archaeology well well there there is that you know uh, you making me think about it right um I, you know i i would say you know i would don't change don't change the path did i think that i would be living in chapel hill north carolina and a fundraiser at unc when i was 20 years old no um i would it's a life is a choose your 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 oh, right choose your your adventure sort of thing remember those books where you know pick a go to page yeah. 22 pick b go to page 36 um i would say just just keep 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 going just just enjoy that moment and make those decisions um based on you know what what is presented in front of you and just follow that path and just keep going it'll it'll get you there um wherever there is supposed to be um i wouldn't wouldn't change a thing so that's it's it's a, it's a tough question I love that though. I mean, um, I still remember that um Steve Jobs's convocation speech at Stanford University where he said it's only possible to connect the dots backwards. So yeah. I mean, don't try too hard to connect them uh forwards, right? Th- that's right. That's right. I I'm sharing sharing that just in in a less eloquent eloquent way. <laughs> <laughs> Um all right last question then uh what's one software tool or resource that's been super helpful for you in this job I don't really use a whole lot of um we don't I don't have a budget for for any real software um we have a blackboard database um that's that's custom to UNC which mm-hmm. is incredibly powerful um difficult to to navigate at times but um but incredibly powerful um from a, a donor relations standpoint so i guess i'd say that and but zoom software and you, you know i mean again it, i had i had donors or or alumni all over the country and i always had planned yet yeah, some day i may get the opportunity to say go to texas where we have a number of them and make that trip and there's one this is like the one one in particular that i really wanted to talk to he's the manager of fort worth and i wanted to get out there and i lived in austin i was like oh, i'm going to make a long week travel and and just kept on putting putting that trip off cuz i need to put it together then covid happens and then i just emailed this this alum and said hey you willing to have a zoom and sure enough he is and you know zoom has made made these meetings um i think just so the, the people are so much more receptive barring the zoom fatigue um to just have that face to face and you can have a face to face it's not a phone call it's a face to face i get to see the reaction of the of the donor um right to the questions and the conversation that we're having um and it's it's proven to be i've i've found you know incredibly meaningful so you know zoom and my and and my database yeah Yeah, Zoom is an amazing recommendation. I love that. 
Listen, I've truly enjoyed this conversation, Brandon. I think it's been great. I hope the listeners uh, find equal value in it as well. Thank you so much again for taking the time to have this conversation with me. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for for having me. I've, I've really uh, I've really enjoyed it. Enjoyed it, even all my babbling. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you.